I mentioned last week that we were going to take a break today from our um, fullness series. Uh, in particular, the words, great words of the Christian faith. We've covered six of those uh, 12 or 13 words. And um, I wanted to just talk to you about surviving spiritual assaults. Now, I, um, these notes today are going to be sort of like the way some of you view speed limit signs. It's just a suggestion, you know. Um, Seriously, the, the, the notes um, are going are gonna to keep us going in the right direction. But there are, there are things that I want to, to share that I realized um, yesterday. It's probably going to take me two Sundays to do this unless I was to keep you for a marathon message today. And I, I don't want to do that. It's never easy to do that. But um, we do have a couple of exit ramps we can take. And what we don't get through today, we'll, we'll finish next week with the help of the Lord. Um, Paul said to Timothy, Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Um, I, I just want to read that one more time. I think we've got it at our church, but I don't think everybody's got it. We, we are in the most prosperous, blessed nation that has ever existed, I think, uh, in, in, at least in, in uh, uh, the last uh, 2,000 years. And we do not handle the command to suffer hardship. We don't handle that well. We think that we can measure our spirituality by our conveniences and how blessed we are. But uh, that's not a good measuring stick. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, a, a dream. Well, I say a dream. It's three dreams, but it was the same dream that I had uh, over the last couple of weeks um, to set the stage for what I want to talk about today. Um, I need to preface that by saying this. This is not hype or hyperbole, what I'm about to say. When I say that I think that this is a time, the time in which we're living, I've never in my lifetime seen a time of such severe assault spiritually. Um, you say, well, I've seen times worse than this. I've seen, I've seen days worse than this. I've seen circumstances uh, worse than this. But the thing about it is I don't know that I've been in something with this climate that we've been under for the last couple of years I don't know that I've seen an assault this long, this deep, and this widespread. This is unlike anything I've seen in my life. And I use the word assault instead of attack because assault carries with it the idea. Now, there are attacks that um, uh, seem to be systematic, planned out, step one, two, three, the enemy attacks this way. 
But then there are seasons of assaults, and assaults are just mad dog mean. Uh, assaults, uh, you know, uh, somebody asked a friend of mine one time, what's the difference between boxing and fighting? And he said, boxing has rules, you know. And sometimes attacks have rules, but assaults do not. And it's been vicious. It's been mean. It's, it's not just been troubling. It's been geared, the assaults that, that, that people are facing, it, it, they, they are geared and created to, 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 to diminish you, to make you hurt, to make you bleed. They're accusatory. Nobody discusses things. They just assault other people and put tags on them. And it's been a very difficult time. And part of me just says, well, we're just in a low spot in our society. And society's like this. Society will come and go and there'll be easier days and worse days. But I do believe that there is something significantly spiritual about this. And I have never seen, I've pastored for a long time, I've pastored a lot of people, and I've never seen this many people feel under assault, and I've never seen this many people wrestling with a sense of helplessness. And I want to tell you the frightening thing is it's morphing into hopelessness. I've never seen hopelessness take root in the church of the living God the way that I see it right now. And I began to pray about it, and I began to simply say, Lord, uh, help me understand why are things so hard, you know. I've said before that I believe our nation is under judgment. I do believe that in spite of the, uh, uh, the, the voices, uh, pastoral and prophetic, that are saying you've got to have faith. God's, God's in control. I know God's in control. There's never been a moment in my life that I thought God wasn't in control. I mean, that's not the issue. People that just want to resolve it by saying, well, God's got everything under control. That's not the issue. That's like saying, well, the sky is blue. Well, of course it is. But that doesn't have anything to do with the storm front that's moving in, you know. Um, we know God is in control. Um, and we, we particularly, we Pentecostals, along with charismatic groups, we come from a background where we, we feel that we need to do away with anything negative or the thought that anything negative can happen to us. I am, I am fearful for the prophetic community in, 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 in our branch of Christianity right now. For those that are, that are continuing to say, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. God's going to do the other. I believe God's going to do this, that, and the other. The question is, what about all the other stuff God's going to do? And I, 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 think, I, think, we, I, I think we have we have seriously hindered our message. And I think we have seriously hindered our testimony. And I think we have seriously hindered our own mental health and spiritual health by picking and choosing the things that we want to believe and the things we want to put over here to the side. And so I was praying, I've, I've, I've said for years that we're coming under Judgment, I believe we are. I believe that judgment begins first in the house of God. Uh, people say, well, God loves this church. All judgment was taken care of at the cross. It's not what the New Testament says. Uh, ultimately, everything is taken care of at the cross, but not yet. That's why we need chastisement. That's why we still repent. That's why we still see these kind of things coming. And I am so starved for a balanced voice and for balanced voices 
that will lead us in the right direction. And I was praying and I just said, Lord, why is this so hard? What am, is this just part of the shaking? We know we're going to have a shaking and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? So that only the unshakable things will remain. See, shaking's good news. It just going through shaking's not good news, you know. Um, but shaking is good news because when all the shaking's done, only the unshakable will remain. Now we know that, we believe that. It's just not fun to go through. But it's led me to say, Lord, what, am, am I missing something? Why are things this hard for these people, our people, us, this long, this severely? And um, I've tried to take comfort in my own words and in the promise of shaking in this world. You'll have tribulation. And I had a dream one night that really uh, I woke up very strongly um, feeling that I had heard from the Lord. The problem was in the dream I saw uh, an event, but I heard nothing. I heard nothing. It was two men that were talking. In the dream, I knew somehow that they were uh, great men of God, and they were talking. And though I couldn't hear a word they said, when they finished talking, I understood that, uh, I, I don't know how I understood it, this is the way dreams work sometimes, but I understood that there had been a covenant reached. There was a covenant agreement, and then I woke up. And I, I, you say, how did you interpret that? I didn't. I tried. I didn't know what it meant. I knew what I saw, but I didn't know what it meant. And then it was either the next night or the night after. I think it was the night after. I had the same dream again. Same picture, same men, same thing, same covenant uh, agreement happening. And I took it to the Lord and I prayed another couple of days. Lord, what does this mean? I knew it was a dream from the Lord. And... Um, then I had it a third time, but this time I heard what was said. The one man spoke to the other man that had said something, and this is what he said. You have asked for a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken away, you will have what you've requested, but if you don't see me, you won't. Well, I knew immediately what we were looking at. It was 2 Kings chapter 2. But then the third time in this dream, and now what I'm about to describe to you actually happened a few years ago right over there on the front row. But, uh, but then I saw it recounted in the dream again. I was over there on the front row. We were in a Word, Spirit, and Power conference. Wonderful time of worship. And I had been praying, uh, the, the background of it, I had been praying for several weeks about some things I felt the Lord put on my heart for this church, and I knew it would be in the future. And I began to pray about it. I'd prayed about it for probably two or three years at that point. And the Lord put in my heart, now this, this is not in the dream, this, this is what really happened. The Lord put in my heart, I want you to ask, and it was one of the Word, Spirit, and Power team, you know, Jack and Charles and RT. It was one of them. He said, I want you to ask them for something. I want you to ask him to give you this item. Now, it wasn't money. It wasn't a credit card or anything like that. But it was something that I knew was very personal. And I knew that um, from something he had said, that he doesn't do that kind of thing. So I said, Lord, help me to 
know if I'm really hearing you. And the Lord kept it on my heart. And while we were sitting there during worship, I leaned over to him and I said, can I ask you something? He said, sure. And I said, I want you to give me something. And he said, what is it? If, if I can, I will. And I said, I want you to give me, and I named what it was. Now, and then the, this is where the dream continued, okay? The dream was recounting what had happened over there a few years ago. He was quiet for a moment, and he kind of looked off like he was figuring, and he looked at me. And I think he was trying to be funny, but it, it, was, it was very prophetic. He said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Uh, and I thought, okay, I think he's gently trying to tell me no. And he, he said, he looked at me and he kind of was quiet a minute. He says, let me, let me think and let me pray. And... Um, and, and I saw that in the dream. And then the Lord said this, you ask why things are hard. Do you not understand? It's because you've asked for a hard thing. That is one reason that the times are hard in which you are living. Now, this was just a few nights ago. Um, many desire things from me, but most do not keep their eyes on me. Many voices are screaming for attention, and most people, even in the church, are drawn to the noise and not to the light. But to those who listen to me, the double portion they've requested shall come. To those who don't, even what they have may be tainted, poisoned, or given to another. Remember as you navigate, and I'm, I'm, I'm altering the last thing because it was kind of personal. Remember as you navigate these difficult times that you are in a hard place because you've asked a hard thing. Now that wasn't a, well, you should have known better. If you, if you didn't want a hard time, you shouldn't ask for something hard. But the Lord was making it very clear to me that the most onerous time on so many levels in society and in the church world. One of the most onerous times we've seen, if not the most onerous time in our life, is a difficult place because we've asked for something that God is moving us toward in fulfillment. Um, I feel like Paul in Galatians 4.19, he said, oh my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Amplified says, my little children for whom I am again in the pains of labor until Christ is completely and permanently formed within you. Paul had done so much at the church in Galatia, or the Galatian churches. And he said, you know what I feel like? He said, I feel like I labored to bring you where you are, and now I'm laboring to bring you right back to where I left you. We're going through labor again, and I felt that way. Not a, not a complaining, mean-spirited, here we go again. No, I just felt like we're at a point right now where we need to decide what Paul told the Galatians they need to decide. Having begun in the Spirit, what makes you think you will be perfected in the flesh? 
Not my goal today. There are, there are two audiences, perhaps, maybe more. But my goal is to bring comfort and to confront, to comfort and to challenge. Because I know there are some of you that are going through the battle of your life. You're going through a war. See, I shared this a while back. Um, I, I have a tendency to talk in terms of battles. Lord, cover us in the day of battle. Cover us as we go through this battle. But the Lord has been changing my vocabulary and he's had me just talk about wars and not battles. Because when you are in a battle, that may be a fight that's just over and started for some insignificant reason. But a war is a series of battles, one after the other. And I feel that we are in a war for our destiny. I feel that we are in a war for our identity. And I will tell you this, I believe that the last two years have been the most difficult years that the church in America has faced, um, possibly in our history, because of the growing adversarial attitude toward the church, but also we have developed Alzheimer's as a church. I don't mean Christian life. I don't believe that about Christian life. I'm not saying this to get on your good side. I still believe that you are a world-class church. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the greatest church on planet earth. But I want to tell you, not all of you are walking in victory. Not all of you are walking in obedience. Some of you have developed Alzheimer's. You've forgotten who your husband is. You've forgotten who your family is. You've forgotten good manners. You've forgotten the ways of the kingdom. And we need to understand that the, the battle that we're in right now is not just somebody out there against us. The biggest part of the battle is for us deciding how shall we then live. We have lost, many of us have lost our song. You've lost your civility. You've lost your testimony. You've forgotten how to apologize. You've forgotten how to walk in love. And loved ones, I want to tell you what you've done. You've made the rest of us hamstrung, having to carry you and having to put up with these things. And what it's doing is it's making the church look like we don't know if we're going to live this way or we don't know if we're going to live that way. We lock into political systems or social systems or we lock into uh, uh, policy systems and some are on the left, some are on the right and both groups have committed the sin of forsaking their dependence on the Lord. We think racism is going to be cured by a political party. We think conservatism is going to be the answer to all of our problems if we can just lean far enough right. And I, I, I know that I'm making, I'm an equal opportunity offender today. <laughs> but loved ones, I want to tell you what's happened. We have lost our song. We've lost our distinction. And you've picked up the drumbeat of the world. You've picked up the cadence of the world. I, I see, uh, you know, it, there's, there's groups where if you don't say things the way they want it said, you're a racist or you're a communist or you're a socialist or you're a piston fan or whatever it is, the bad thing over here. Um, there, there is no discussion, there's accusation. And then there's the other, 
I see, I see bumper stickers like this, and I know that I'm offending everybody. I'm, it's not my intent. But somebody, no, nobody in the church wanted me to, to put a sticker on the car. And, and this is what the sticker said. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and Trump is my president in 2024. And they gave me an article, so help me, this, that, that's not anti-Trump or pro-Biden. Uh, just don't go there. I'm not going there. Don't tell me I'm going there because I'm not going there. But I, he gave me an article written by one of the prophets that some of you send me stuff from all the time. And this guy said, uh, in no uncertain terms, your spirituality and your level of maturity in the Lord is directly proportional to your support of Donald Trump. Now, I think that's idolatry. I think that's sin. You say, are you saying Donald Trump is not a good man? No, I'm not even talking about Donald Trump. Donald Trump's not the problem. The attitude is the problem. The attitude that says, if you don't talk like I talk, you're a racist. That's the problem. They are both idolatrous. They are both under judgment. And loved ones, I want to tell you, the biggest decision we've got to make is not who the next president is going to be. And that's huge. The biggest decision we've got to make is not midterm elections. That's huge. The biggest reform is not necessarily social justice. And that's huge. Lo loved ones, I know all of that. I know all of that. Don't put words in my mouth that I did not say. But I am saying unequivocally, we are at the brink. The church in America is teetering at the brink of deciding if we're going to become a political, social institution or if we're going to be an institution that follows the Lord and puts his word first and foremost. And I've got a surprise for Christian life, the greatest church in America with the best looking pastor in America. <laughs> No, I just, you know, I'm kidding little, but I tell you what, I believe, I believe after two years of being worn down, we as a church, this church, you, this section, that section, all the, every one of us, we've got to make the decision whose voice are we going to follow? Whose kingdom are we going to be a part of? I, I, you say, well, you just, you, you know, you're this, you're that, you're the other. There's nothing I can do to be unoffensive in everything that is said. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be offensive. I just realize I have a message to deliver and it's far beyond a political message. It's far beyond a philosophical message. I think we need to understand what is happening. So I want to talk to you as we, as we talk about um, surviving spiritual assaults. I first of all want to talk about what is happening. I want to talk to those of you that are doing well. You're, you're saying, no, pastor, I understand what you're saying. I feel like I'm on track. I feel like I'm, you know, I struggle, but I've got a balance and I feel like I'm doing well. I want to talk to you about getting through this assault that is blowing you away. And then loved ones, I, I want to talk to some of you that are in sin. I want to talk to some of you that are just trying to, 
you're, you're, you, you are convinced and you're trying to convince everybody around you. Look at your emails. Look at your posting. Look at your letters. Look at the things that you say. You are trying to commit, convince other Christians to march with your cadence. And you pick that cadence up from the world. Paul said to the Galatians, he said, what has bewitched you? What, what has made you think that the kingdom of God is represented by the Democratic Party? What has made you think that the kingdom of God is represented by the Republican Party? What has made you think that we need to abandon our churches and our pastors and get a prophet to follow? And I believe in the prophetic, but we have violated, we have caused the prophetic movement to tumble in on itself by being groupies. We have created an environment where we make excuses for prophets. They don't even know how to say I missed something or I, I didn't hear something right. We have created an adversarial role in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, our goal is to come through this time of testing. Not to get through, but to come through with the change that the Lord wants. So you say, Pastor, what's happening? Uh, number one, I, th I think this is in your outlines under number two, what is happening? I think Daniel pointed out that there is an assignment to wear out the saints of the Most High. Um, there is an assignment to wear out the saints of the Most High. There is going to be an Antichrist. He may be in the world, may not be, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it's very possible that the Antichrist is in the world. But we know there have always been false teachers of Antichrist. And we know that there has been uh, in the world a, a, a spirit of Antichrist. And um, I know the popular thing in theological circles today is to say there's no antichrist, there's no beast or false prophet. Those are just spirits. No, I, I don't agree with that. I think there is an antichrist. I think there is a false prophet. But what we also need to understand is that their spirit, the spirit of antichrist and false teachers of antichrist is doing everything in our circles right now to make us march to the wrong drumbeat. I believe that with all of my heart. This, Paul said that Antichrist would not be revealed. 2 Thessalonians 2, he said that Antichrist would not be revealed uh, unless there comes a falling away first. And loved ones, I know there have been periods of falling away in church history, but no Antichrist, the Antichrist didn't result from those fallings, uh, fallings away. But I believe that as we get closer to the end, what we're going to find is that the appearance of the Antichrist system is going to be prefaced by a falling away. And let me tell you, the lost don't fall away. The wicked don't fall away. They haven't been on board to begin with. And we need to be on guard. And I'm telling you as a pastor that loves you with all my heart, I'm telling you as a shepherd that loves the sheep, we are at the point we need to be careful of what we listen to. We need to be careful of what we allow to surface in our attitudes. You say, oh, you're just fussing because somebody's misbehaved. Oh, no, I've already done that. I've already fussed because people misbehave. But I'm telling you as a pastor, 
This has reached critical proportion. And the days ahead, the battle is not going to be for this, that, or the other, although those will be secondary or tertiary battles. The battle for every church in the Western world is, am I going to follow the Lord? Am I going to seek to please the Lord? Am I going to live by another set of guidelines that are otherworldly? Or am I going to let this world set my agenda and set my attitude? So there's an assignment to wear out the saints of the Most High. You say, well, I just, I'm just believing God. God loves, God is love, and everything God does is good, and God doesn't want me to have problems. Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul said. I do not want you. This is 2 Corinthians 1. This is not in your notes, I don't think. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. This is what Paul said. This is what the great apostle said. We have gone through a situation where we were convinced that we probably wouldn't live through it. Then he goes on in the next verse. <coughs> Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And the wording there, he's saying, we prayed about it. We kept taking it to God. And we felt like God had said, you're going to die. I mean, they not only said this is going to kill us, but they said God's letting us, letting it kill us. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. Now, loved ones, listen to me, your pastor that loves you. Some of you are learning or living above it. You've, you've passed the test marvelously. This past two years might have been tough, but you have kept your eyes on the Lord. You are surviving, and you're not only surviving, you're thriving, and we praise God for that. Some are floundering. You say, Pastor, I'm trying, and, but I hadn't got there yet. Hey, I want to give a word of encouragement to every late bloomer. Thank God for late bloomers. Thank God for those that it, it kicks in. It may kick in a little bit later, but praise God, it kicked in. Thank God for late bloomers. That's okay. I don't have problems with late bloomers. But at the heart of every child of God is the question of whether you will navigate these currents by the flesh or by the spirit. I want to remind you, I want to remind you, I'm not talking to the church world. I'm talking to Christian life, family. I want to remind you of Naomi that we preached about a few weeks or months ago now. She said, I went out full, but I came home empty. She stepped out of God's provision. She stepped out of God's plan because it was a tough time. It was a, it was a famine. And God said, when famine comes, this is what you do. Don't leave the land. Pray and follow these steps. Well, she and her husband decided they knew better. They left the land. And she said, we, we, I went out full. I, had, I went out with my house full. I went out with my two boys. I went out with... <laughs> with a husband. I went out with a reason to believe that God would see us through. She said, and now I've come back home, but I've come home empty. I've lost my children. I've lost my husband. And I don't mean if you and I disobey the Lord that we lose our spouse and our children. But what I am telling you is that anytime that we do what the church as a whole is doing in America, 
The, the church as a whole has caved in to political correctness. We have begun to worship at the Isle of Tolerance. You remember one of the problems with one of the seven churches? He, he, Jesus said, you tolerate the teaching of that woman Jezebel. Loved ones, it, it's not a Christian virtue to be tolerant of evil. We're tolerant of people. We're tolerant of feelings. We're tolerant of these things. But we, we never win the day by compromising what we are. We never win the day by compromising who we are. And Jesus said, that's not going to work. It didn't work then. It doesn't work now. The church in America, because we've spent the last 40 years becoming a consumer mentality, how can we draw the crowds and how can we keep our customers? How can we gear the music? How can we gear the children? How can we gear this, that, and the other? And loved ones, I know that there are hearts set from pure motives. I know that. I don't have time to qualify every statement. But the church in America has set her heart to be pleasing to the world. We've thought it was to draw them but we've drawn them with a lie. We've brought them in saying, you'll love our worship, you'll love our this, you'll love our that. And what we have done is we've brought them in and created congregations that say, it's my way or I'll hit the highway. And the church has lost the distinctive that God gave us. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, some of you are handling it very well. I'm amazed at how you, some of you are tapping into the strength of the Holy Spirit. You are seeing miraculous provision. Some of you are seeing miraculous healing. And like the Galatians, I don't know if you remember from reading the book of Galatians, but Paul said, the way I ended up with you people to begin with, he said, as I was dealing with weakness and infirmity of the flesh. So Paul said, like we could say of, of COVID, a great attack of sickness came, but out of it, doors opened for great opportunity of ministry and witness. And we praise God for that. But some are just getting used to it. We call it the new normal. And there are some dynamics. Guys, are you with me out there? There are some dynamics that may be just a new normal. I don't know, only time will tell. But what frightens me for the church is that we are, we are afraid to raise our distinctiveness again. We are afraid to raise the banner of the cross again. We are afraid to say some things are right and some things are wrong again. And it's understandable because nobody likes to be hated. It's understandable because there are certain places in our country where you're threatened with legal action for preaching the word of God. I mean, that's happening. That's reality. Even in a place as calm and dignified as Canada, it, it, pastors are afraid to preach passages of scripture because they are being arrested and churches are being padlocked. And at the heart of every child of God is as we walk through this, how am I going to navigate this? Am I going to navigate it in the spirit or am I going to navigate it in the flesh? And I'll say it one more time, then I'll try not to say it anymore until I say it the next time. But <laughs> loved ones, you are 
part of this church. I love you. I, I, this is not me picking a fight. But some of you, if you were to honestly look at your life, you're not what you were two years ago. You've lost your strength. You've lost your focus. Many of you have lost your song. And you've picked up the cadence of the world. You still sing about amazing grace, but your grace has been subsumed into anger and frustration. And what we are dealing with in America, in our churches, is a pandemic, not of COVID necessarily. That may still be here um, or may not, depending on which news report you read. But there is a pandemic of helplessness. And I tell you what I see in the churches in America and not in our church as a whole, but I do see it in our church. It's this pandemic of helplessness is slowly shifting into hopelessness. It's, it's one thing to feel helpless. Sometimes that's the best place you can be. Lord, help me. But when helplessness shifts to hopelessness, then the battle's lost. I believe God's doing two different things in our country. And I, I know he's doing different things in different places around the world. But in the Western church, I believe he is number one, judging our sins. And number two, using the events of judgment to purify us for the greatest day of outpouring and revival that we have ever known. But listen to me. I believe God is, we're under judgment. I believe that. And I believe God is using the judgment to refine us and purify us. But this is the danger point. This is the live or die point right here. We must stop acting and thinking like the desired result is automatic. See, what some of us have done have said, yep, God's going to get us through this. But you are so angry. You are so uh, put off. I think the church in America has bypassed two opportunities to shine like a bright morning star for the world uh, since COVID came around two years ago. We've, we've passed up at least two opportunities to really let our light shine. And the reason we passed up those opportunities is because we've opted for wrong systems to repair the problem. We've got to stop thinking that if I can just get past this, things will be set right. I don't think so. We've got to get through this, but when we get through it, we have to have changed. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I don't know of a time that I've seen the church pray more than it prayed in 2020. I mean, everybody was praying. I'd, I'd, I've never seen a time in my life where the church prayed more than it did in 2020. But the nasty problem with that is that that's not the end of the sentence. My people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. And what we've done is we've embraced wicked ways to try to deal with wicked ways. I want to read a story and then we'll, we'll, we'll move toward stopping. Um, we'll, we'll pick it up next week. I want to read to you from, I don't think this is in your notes either, 1 Kings 22. 
I want to read the story of Ahab and Jehoshaphat going to war against Syria. Now, the, Israel has been divided. Civil war split them. Northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. They were at war with each other for years after the death of Solomon. But there's peace between Israel and, and Judah right now. There's a godly king on the throne in Judah named Jehoshaphat. And uh, um, somebody asked me uh, last service, is this the same as jumping? Jumping Jehoshaphat? And I said, yeah, that's, that's probably the same one. A godly king. And there had been peace between the northern and southern kingdom. And he thought, well, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to blend hearts with my, with my brother. Um, and loved ones, let me just say this at the risk of sounding hopeless. Uh, it, it doesn't usually bode well when righteousness and wickedness try to walk arm in arm. It doesn't usually work well. The northern kingdom was in awful rebellion. They were into child sacrifice, abortion in our culture. They were setting up their own places of worship with their own priesthood. And Jehoshaphat said, well, I think we can blend with that. I think we can. And Jehoshaphat was a godly king, but he made a great mistake. There were three years without war between Aram or, or Syria and Israel. In the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went to visit the king of Israel, Ahab. The king of Israel said to his servants, you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, but we've done nothing to take it out of the hand of Syria. You know, he says, we've been at peace, but they've still got some of our property. We're going to go get it. And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle against Ramoth Gilead, get our land back? Jehoshaphat, trying to be a good pastor that fits everybody's agenda, said, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please ask for a word from the Lord today. So Jehoshaphat said, I'll go to battle. I'm not afraid of going to battle, but I just want the prophets to endorse it. I want a word from the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, this apostate kingdom, 400 men and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I wait? And all the prophets go up for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Now you see this in the days of Jeremiah. You see it in the days of Jehoshaphat. Um, an apostate church always wants the recognition of being the church. So they'll get prophets even if the prophets are false prophets. Jehoshaphat hears all these 400 prophets saying, go, 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 go. And Jehoshaphat said, hey, have you got a real prophet that we can hear from? Is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can ask? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he never prophesies good for me, but always evil. <laughs> then the king of Israel called an officer and said, quickly bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, and the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, each put on his robes and sat at the throne, the entrance of the gate of Samaria. This was going to be a religious occasion. And all the prophets prophesied before them. One named Zedekiah made horns of iron and said, thus says the Lord, 
With these you shall push the Arameans until you have consumed them. All the prophets prophesied similarly, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. The servant who had gone to get Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Look, the words of the prophets unanimously declare success for the king. 400 verses 0. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak that which is good. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, I will speak whatever the Lord says to me. In other words, if that's what the Lord says, I'll say it. So he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we wait? Now Micaiah is answering sarcastically here. Go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. He said what the other 400 prophets said. And this is the response of Ahab. How many times must I tell you to tell me only the truth in the name of the Lord? He heard what he wanted to hear, but he knew in his heart it was a lie. And then Micaiah says, you want to know what I believe? He said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let every man return to his own house in peace. When he said, these have no master, he was saying, I see the army of Israel out there and their king is dead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, only evil? And Micaiah starts again. Hear therefore the word of the Lord. I saw, and by the way, we don't know it's, it's another sermon. It's a very interesting study, but we don't have time for it today. We don't know if this is literally what happened or if this was a prophetic picture, like a parable of what happened. But he said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand, on his left. The Lord said, who will persuade Ahab that he will go up and die at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this and another said that. Then a spirit came forth and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord says, how? Now, that's why we think it's a prophetic picture, parable uh, of sorts, because we know the Lord knows the answer to these questions. He said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you will be successful and persuade him. Go forth and do so. Now, therefore, the Lord has put a lying spirit. Here's one prophet speaking to 400 other prophets. The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all your prophets here, and he has spoken evil concerning you. Then Zedekiah, the horn prophet, walked up and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me in order to speak to you? And Micaiah said, you will see in that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. In other words, Micaiah said, you'll get the answer to that question when you find yourself hiding in the closet because you're running from the enemies. The king of Israel said, take Micaiah back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this man in the prison, feed him with reduced rations of bread and water until I return safely. And Micaiah ended his moment in the spotlight saying this, if you return safely at all, the Lord has not spoken through me. Now, and then I don't have time to read the rest of the story, but they go into battle. Ahab is killed just as the prophet predicted. The battle was lost. 
just as Micaiah predicted, just as the 400 false prophets did not predict. And Jehoshaphat learns the lesson of a lifetime. He escapes with his life and goes back to um, Judah and doesn't get into one of these situations again. Now I want to tell you what I believe with all of my heart. The day has begun in which our forms of godliness are being exposed. I, I, I don't think, you know I, know, I know there are signs of revival. But I want to tell you what God is doing is in little pockets of the remnant. The church is not doing well as a whole. The church is trying to find a way that we can still have our prophets but not be holy. We're trying to find a way that the pastors can still have dignity, but not have righteousness. People are trying to find a way where we can still have our country club, but we're not counterculture. We just fit in with everybody else. We want trimmings, but have no purity. We insist on titles, but have no testimony. And I want to tell you what we're beginning to see and, and, and what we have seen from people in remnant churches just like ours when the true move of God comes, when the true presence of God manifests itself, the faults will respond with anger, rage, violence, accusation. Loved ones, the Bible tells us that there is only one time that the world will recognize us as Christians, and that is by our love, not by our political profile not by our financial practices or lack of financial practices. And, and loved ones, I, I want to tell you, we, we have lost the fear of the Lord. We treat each other like garbage. We accuse each other uh, because of our own hurt. We don't know how to hurt, uh, deal with our baggage. We don't know how to deal with our own sin. And so in the name of Jesus, in the, in the name of 400 false prophets, this is what you are. This is what you say. This is what you mean. And the world is going to hell while we have started marching to a different drummer. And it's the drumbeat of hell. Now, I want to say a couple of things very quickly for those of you that you may say, Pastor, that's, that's not me. I want to encourage you, those of you that are in a trial, those of you that are in a challenge, those of you that are under assault, I want you to understand trouble is part of the normal Christian life. Everyone experiences stuff. Uh, everyone experiences stuff. The only person I ever asked, you know, a rhetorical question, you know, all, all husbands and wives argue, you know, from time to time. You know, I could ask, how many here married, you've never had an argument? And, you know, everybody says, yeah, that's right. Somebody raised their hand one time. And I thought, well, tell me a little bit about it. You know, bottom line, how long have you been married? Three days. <laughs> Everyone experiences stuff. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. And when Jesus told us to wear our armor, he said, put on the helmet of salvation, that gives you hope. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, that gives you right living and right standing before God. Put on the belt of truth because you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. Wear the shoes 
of the gospel of peace. That'll tell you when to walk, when to stand. It'll help you stay firm when you need to stay firm, give you peace. He said, have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Be sure that you have the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit all over you. But then he also said this, carry the shield of faith because with faith, you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. And loved ones, we're going to have stuff. We're going to have stuff. Now you say, well, well, okay, but I feel like I'm targeted. I think you probably are. Uh, now, not every attack are you targeted. There are targeted assaults. But can I give you this encouragement? Most real assaults come when you're in the will of God. The rest of them come when you're out of the will of God. In fact, uh, the way you can be sure of storms is either obey God or disobey God. No, seriously, talking about attacks, it's, it's like storms. The disciples were in a storm, they thought they were going to die. And they were in the storm because they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Get in the boat, go to the other side. But then all you have to do is look at Jonah and find out some storms come because we disobey God. Um, but it's not always that simple. Sometimes we're in a storm because someone near me is out of the will of God. See, I've seen it over and over again. A man cheats on his wife. A woman is a wife is given over to alcohol or has an affair. The list goes on and on. And the children suffer. The church suffers. Everybody around them suffers. And the people that are suffering around them haven't done anything, but somebody around them has stepped into the storm. Sometimes you're in an attack zone. Sometimes the enemy attacks a church. Sometimes the enemy attacks the church. Sometimes the enemy attacks a city. The list goes on and on. There are attack zones and you just happen to live in that zip code. Sometimes we are targets of opportunity. You know what I find out? I find out if I don't pray devotionally regularly, I open the door for attacks. Sometimes if we try to hide sin, the Lord in his goodness will let us come under attack. It's called chastisement. Do you know that if I, if I don't forgive, then I become a target of opportunity. I open the door for the enemy to work in my life if, if, if I don't walk in forgiveness. And, and, and loved ones, I'm, I want to tell you something. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just letting it out today, okay? We'll be okay after this. But uh, I, I, something else I've noticed in the, in the past couple of years People have become harsh with the way they talk with their own families. Uh, Paul, or excuse me, Peter said, husbands, dwell with your wife with an understanding heart, because if you don't, it'll hinder your prayers. And can I, can I just meddle into your lives for just a minute? And can I speak especially to our young marrieds, our 20-somethings, our 30-somethings? Um, I know that we all have personalities, we all have different love languages, but I, I want to encourage you wives to treat your husband with respect. Talk to him as though he is honored and loved. And I want to talk to you husbands, talk to your wife as, she is what, as though she were what she is, the love of your life, the treasure of your being, the treasure of your existence. 
loved ones, I, I cringe the way I hear a lot of husbands and wives talk to each other. You say, well, he understands me, she understands me. That's the problem. That just might be the problem. And, and we need to, I'm telling you, we need to start falling in love again. We need to tell our, I mean, I know we're in an age of feminism and we're in an age of, of men having their own problems, but I want to tell you, men, you need to start loving your wife the way Christ loved the church. Stop talking to her the way you do. And ladies, you need to understand that the most important thing in a man's life is to be honored by his family. And, and I'm telling you, some of you won't believe this because you're newlyweds, but I'm telling you the truth. It's more important. I, I, I've, I've got years to, of, of, of data to back this up. It's more important for a man to be respected by his wife than to have sex with his wife. Now, we didn't get many amens. But that's why, that's why homes collapse. It's not because of sexual problems. It's because of respect problems. Sex has a way of taking care of itself. Well, we better go on. Now, let me go a little bit deeper about personal assaults. There, there are the reasons I just mentioned. But I want you to know that some of you are here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know what I'm done. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm trying to do everything right. There's no hidden sin in my life that I'm aware of. I'm good to my wife or I'm good to my husband. Pastor, I don't know what's going on. Well, let me be the first to congratulate you. You may be one of those rare people that are in a blind test like Job Job was in the test he was in because God said, ain't nobody like Job. Ain't nobody like Job. Job fears God. He stays away from evil. And you say, well, that's right, Job. You hang in there, Job. You just be faithful. You know that God's for you. Job knew nothing <laughs> till it was all over. See, I, I don't think it would be so bad to be tested like Job as long as God explained everything to you. Well, it would be bad. He lost children. I mean, there was a lot of things horrible. But you, you know, um, you go to a good doctor. A good doctor tells you this. Now you're you're going to feel this. You're going to this is going to be a side effect. This is, you know, and you feel comfortable. Okay, the doctor. Okay. But how would you feel if you went to a doctor and they start to put you to sleep, and the doctor says, "Well, let's see if it'll work this time." Or let's see what happens. Oh yeah, Job was magnificent. But I want to remind you that Job, though he passed the test, he didn't know a thing that was going on until after it was over. You may be going through a hell on earth and everything in you is saying the church has failed you. The pastor's failed you. Justin's failed you. Your wife has failed you. Your boss has failed you. Nothing's working. God's not answering prayer. You may not even know that God has just brought you into a blind test because he is so incredibly proud of you that he wants to show you off. I know you still don't want it. I understand. Some of you may have a Gethsemane moment that you're going through right now. 
What's a Gethsemane moment? It's where everything in you says, I want out. I, this is not right. I don't want to do this. Father, if there is any way, and the wording of that's really interesting. It's if you can find any fine print, if you can find any clause, if you can find any other way, let this cup pass from me. But before the echo of that prayer ended, he said, but your way is what matters. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Some of you are just at a moment, you've just got to buckle down and go through it. I wish I could tell you that here's three easy steps to get out of the trial. Some of you, it's going to cost you more than you can imagine. Some of you, you're going to have a double blessing like Job when it's over. Others, you're doing fine. You're just learning like Paul, that passage in, in Corinthians that I read early. You are convinced that this is the end of the road, but he's going to get you through it because you trust him. But loved ones, the thing that breaks my heart is some of you are going to go home mad. Some of you, you just look, I'm telling you, look at what you have written. Look at what you have posted. Look at what you've done to people. You say, well, I just need to learn to be stronger. No, you need to learn to apologize. You've driven off your children. You've driven off your husband or your wife. You've driven off your neighbors. And it's all because nobody understands me. I can't argue with that. Maybe nobody understands you. But you have chosen the enemy's way to deal with the baggage and the fear and the uncertainty that 2020 brought us in the person of COVID. I'm not minimizing COVID. I have, I have a brother that was taken out of my life because of COVID. I, I despise COVID. I, I, it, I, I hurt from that every day. I feel cheated every time I think of my brother. Some of you have gone through the same thing with parents or children or loved ones. I, I, I'm not minimizing the trial, but I'm thankful for those of us who understood early on that we can question a trial without questioning our faith. And I want you to know, you'll never be happy no matter where, what church you go to. You'll never be happy if you get another husband or another wife. You'll never be happy if you move to another country. Because you've not understood that God is bringing us to a place of utter dependence on Him. And I've said this over and over again, but I am going to look you in the eye and say it one more time. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger, your name calling, your bitterness, your vitriol, it's not going to bring about the results you want. We'll, we'll talk about this next week, how we're called to bless. Now, we've got to understand the day. Let, let me give you this and we're going to quit because we've got to quit. As I see it, I think the, the assault that we're dealing with, there are five things. It, this is where we'll pick up next week. 
First of all, we need to understand they are layers. This is multi-layer. It's not just we're going through a difficult time. It's layer upon layer upon layer. Number two, there is, in, even in the church of Jesus Christ, there is a denial of reality. Uh, we, we, are, we are surrounded by churches with pastors like Ahab that have their voices they want the guise of godliness, but they don't want the power and the cleansing that comes with it. Number three, there are misplaced fears. Loved ones, God woke me up in a sweat the other night. I was going through a tough spot where I'm trying to navigate. How do I make this group happy? How do I make this group happy? How do I answer this letter? How do I answer that email? And I was going through and it was just, it was getting to me. And I woke up in a sweat and it was says, and do, the scripture that came to me was this, Matthew 10, 28, and do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Now, nobody was threatening to kill me. That's not what I'm talking about. But it was talking about personages, people. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I tell you what needs to happen in the church of Jesus before anything else that we're praying for is going to happen. We've got to get back where we have a healthy fear of God. We've got to stop fearing the viciousness. We've got to stop fearing the voices. And we've got to understand that one thing matters and that is are we pleasing the Lord? A church that says, I'm going to please everybody, or we've got different groups in the church, we've got to please all the groups, that church might as well go ahead, sell the property, and distribute the money to the poor, because they won't function as a church. But if we can understand that our fear needs to be placed back upon God, the fourth thing is form. As I said, we have a form of godliness and we're being conformed to this world. Let me give you the last thing as we stop here. Compromised faith. Let me tell you a real danger. This can even happen in the lives of good people. We can compromise. It's not that we don't want to have faith. It's just that real faith costs us. You see, like the Lord said to me, things are hard because you've asked a hard thing. Now, I still want what I asked. But I now understand why there is such an intense battle. Because it's a hard thing. God said to Abraham, Abraham, it's time, buddy. It's time. Your wife, now you got to understand, he's nearly 100. She's 90. He is so tired of going to Walmart. And every time he goes to Walmart, his wife you know, says, honey, get a, get a pack of diapers. We don't know when, just, just be sure to pick up some diapers. And he's looking in the long emergency tent and it's overflowing with diapers. It's overflowing with all kinds of baby toys. He's, he's exhausted. Loved ones, I want to tell you, when you've heard from God, it is exhausting sometimes to carry that thing. When you are hurting and you've been, especially when you've been done wrong, See, it's easy for somebody who's never been done wrong to say, oh, you shouldn't let that worry you. When you've been done wrong and you're calling out to God for justice, it's exhausting when justice is put off. See, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we don't need justice. I'm not saying we don't need all of these things that everybody's fighting for. We need all of them. But we've got to 
let God show us how to, how to do it not, and not alienate each other as we process it. He says, it's almost here. And this was the cry of Abraham. He says, oh God, it was a cry from his heart. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. You know what he was saying? He was saying, don't make me go through this again. Don't make me wait any longer. We're already the laughing stock down at Babies or Us. <laughs> Lord, we've got Ishmael. Just let Ishmael live before you. And God understood. Here was a man that loved his son. He said, I'll, I'll bless his Ishmael. I'll bless Ishmael. But I don't want you to give up too quickly. It's time for Isaac. And loved ones, I want to tell you this. It's time for Isaac. Isaac is about to come. And the question is, have you positioned your heart so that God can heal the hurts, release the baggage, and open your eyes to the baby that makes you laugh? That's the question. You say, yeah, but it's been so long. You know, I used to preach that story about um, Elisha saying, give me a double portion of your, of your spirit. Uh, I, I misread the story and I realized a, a while back that I'm, I, I preached this story wrong. I preached that he said, give me a double portion of your spirit. And then... Uh, Elijah said, well, if you see me when I'm taken away, and then he stuck with him through all of these stops. But when you read the story, it, 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 it came to me a few months ago. He didn't ask for the double portion until after all that following had been done. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to, I'm going to go to Gilgal. Okay, I'm going with you. He said, no, stay here. And he, no, he wouldn't leave the side of his master. And the, the prophets, the schools of the prophets came up to Elisha and said, don't you know, we all sense it. We know that the Lord's about to take your master from you. He said, I know it. I know it. He said, but don't, don't stir up anything. I know it. And then as Elijah miraculously opens the river and they walk across right at the end, he says, what do you want from me? I want to give you something before I leave. He says, I want a double portion. He said, you've asked a hard thing. And they took a few more steps and then it happened. And you see, one of the things that God reminded me of when he let me dream what had happened a few years ago, he said, I'm not, I'm not asking you to walk this out for year after year after year. He said, I see your heart and it's about to happen. God and Elijah said to Elisha, I see your heart. You always have had a, had a heart to go with me and God's going to reward it. Just, just stick with it a little bit longer. Just the next few steps, keep your eyes on me. And loved ones, we're thinking, where's God? Why isn't God going to answer? And we don't understand that God says there's only a few more steps. It's just a few more steps. If you'll see me when I'm taken up, and Elisha could have said, oh. that's what I've been doing. He could have said, oh, just let Ishmael live before you. 
But he said, if you see me, it'll happen. If you don't, he won't. And so Elijah started walking and Elisha said, that's what I've given my life to. I've given my life to walking where he walks. I've given my life to following in his steps. Why in the world would I stop now? Because I got a blister? I've had blisters before because I'm tired. I've been tired before. No, I'm just going to do what I've always done. And then, whoo, my God, the chariots of heaven, the horsemen of heaven, the access to heaven. And loved ones, I'm afraid that some of us are so beat down by what's happened the last couple of years, we've lost hope and we've lost hope in each other and we've found that we need to express our pain and dismay. And what we're doing really is just saying, I'll settle, I'll settle for Ishmael. No. We can't do that. Okay, we got to quit. I knew I was going to go over, but I, if you came on time, you know I went over this morning. <laughs> Let me tell you what I want to do. I'm... I'm going to ask you to stand, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Now, remember, we're, we're, going to, we're going to wrap this up next week. But those of you that are here today, and you'd say, Pastor, I'm overwhelmed. I am knee-deep in alligators. I am, you, you might say, I've handled everything well, but I need a miracle. This, this time of prayer is for you. You may be here and you'd say, Pastor, I've done, I, I am the poster child for handling it wrong. I have, I have spread death and despair and hurt feelings. I've destroyed family. I've destroyed friendship, relationship. I've mishandled it, but I really want to make it right. I want to get back on track. This time's for you too. See, the wonderful thing is that you can always come home. You can always come back. And you're welcome. You're loved. Or you can snuggle up with Ishmael and live the rest of your life with second best. I want you to just begin right now. If, if you're online and you'd like prayer, there's a number on the screen or, or will be in a moment. People are ready to help you. But for those of you that are here in Brown Chapel, nobody's going to ask you what your need is. But if you say, I want to get out of this assault the right way, then we want you to just come find a place at the front. And the ministry team is just going to go from one to one praying for you. When someone comes to pray for you, is that the way we're doing it, Justin? When someone comes to pray for you, if you, have, if you want to tell them your battle, you can. But loved ones, what, what we as a church are doing is saying, we're going to be the remnant. We're not perfect. It, it, you're the closest thing to a perfect church I know. If it wasn't for me, you'd have a lot better chance at being perfect. Because I'm so, I'm so flawed. I'm so imperfect. But I believe in you with all my heart. But I know all of us at times just get to the point where it's, God's got to do it. He's got to do it. We can't do it. We're going to give you about 30 seconds to come, find a place, and we're going to call for the ministry team to come in behind you. Father, as those are coming today, as they're coming, Lord, as they are coming to say we are under attack, Lord, we're under assault, we're struggling.
We don't know which way to go, but our trust is in you. Father, we, we want to say thank you for blessing us and everything that you've done, but we're waiting for Ishmael. We're waiting for Ishmael. We, want to, we don't want to come close and then fall short. Help us, help us in Jesus' name, whether it's physical healing, a financial burden, a relationship that's broken, whatever it is, help our husbands and wives to speak tenderly to one another. That's not even the main part of this message. But Lord, I think there's an anointing here today for those that want to change the tone in their home. We're going to dismiss you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord look from heaven upon you and give you his peace. Now go in his strength, go in his favor. But if others want to come or if prayer team will come, and begin to pray for these that have come. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.